Ryan, how are you doing? Hey, Ryan, how are you? I'm doing fantastic. Give me a second. We're going to do a sound check before we get started. Stand by. Sure. So we'll start by uh, simple stuff. Um, what did you eat for breakfast? I had uh, milk and eggs. What kind of milk? Skin milk. Skin milk. Was it yummy? Was it delicious? It was pretty delicious, but it was just too Because without fat, I don't know. Without fat, I don't know. It, it's 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 kind of scary. <laughs> basically, water. <laughs> it's it's basically white water. Oh yeah, but I've been getting too much fat from other things, mainly mainly beer and whiskey. Coronavirus has affected us all. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we uh, we also have my executive producer on the line, Mr. Alan Salazar, who will be helping me today on the sidelines with uh, audio checks and research and stuff like that. Alan, can you hear me okay? Copy that. All right, Ryan, can you hear me okay? Yep. Hello, how are you? Alan, can you hear Ryan okay? Yep. Ryan, can you hear me? Yes. Yes, I can. How are Fantastic. you doing, Fantastic. Doing great. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. All right. So uh, if everyone can hear okay and uh, everyone's in a good spot, um, Ryan, are you okay with this time still? Yeah. And what's a, what's a good hard stop for you? Do you have anything planned? Um, I just have a, a meeting at the end of the day uh, uh, that's 4.30, so I have quite a while. 4.30, nice. You're a busy man. <laughs> All right. So um, basically, um, yeah, this is this entire, uh, uh, we'll call it a conference, but it's, it's going to be uh, published as a podcast. Um, it's going to be recorded, and it's going to be transcribed. So um, we're using voice intelligence. So it's going to digitally and automatically auto record and as and transcribe it and also it'll be contextual and since you work for such an incredible analytics company you know everything about contextualizing things so um i look forward to asking you very uh interesting questions hopefully for you but also i want to probe you about who what you've been up to in the in nearly the two decades that we've known each other so let's get started um, i'm going to introduce you real quick so this podcast is about just rediscovering the local area of northern virginia and all of its wonderful people um, everywhere every, everyone from entrepreneurs um, professionals to people that just are inspiring uh, for the work they do in the community to the pioneering efforts they do in innovation, to the ideas that they share, um, and just the things that I don't know and I'm, I'm just eager to learn about. Um, this is a platform to engage and share and collaborate on that and learn, and just, just learn, learn, learn the heck out of stuff. Um, we're joined today by a longtime friend from my college days. I mean, this is, we're talking about what, 17 years uh, since, since we first met in computer science. Uh, I think it was like 101 or 112 or whatever the introduction of computer science was when, when Ryan, Ryan McGarry was still a computer science nerd like I was, but he did the smart thing and he switched majors. He got out of it before the attrition <laughs> rates just skyrocketed and it just consumed the rest of us. And he switched to something I think nowadays is the most, is the hottest field, the growing field of neuroscience um, and everything that has to do with neuroscience. And he kept on going 
and he stuck with it. And he, he went through a bachelor's, a master's and a PhD. Uh, and now he's working for one of the hottest companies uh, uh, in the market, Spark Neuro, doing crazy awesome stuff that we'll get into uh, in terms of tech, in terms of uh, the brain, in terms of measuring um, all types of fancy stuff for you know marketing as well as how we make decisions and why we make the decisions we do. Um, so, Ryan, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me on. It's great to talk to you again, and uh, I'm excited to uh, you know really get into how we uh, you know can really talk about how neuroscience can kind of be useful for everyday life. Fantastic. So, Ryan, what what have you been up to? I mean, like the one thing that I've always wondered is like. You know, what goes through your own head? If you want to talk about brains, what goes through your own head? Because you are probably the coolest individual I've ever met. You you have gone through so many <laughs> transformations since I've known you. And just to paint the picture, because this is not a video podcast. So Ryan, and I, trust me, I'm going to I'm going to first start off with with like uh, the the feel good story. And then I'm going to go into the maybe we'll, we'll come to the, the science of it. But the feel good story is Ryan was basically like me. He was like a nerd. Like like we were both scrawny individuals. I, I'd say that he was more <laughs> social than I was, but still we were scrawny, nerdy people. And you know, we we went to class, we did our you know, whatever we had to do to to as freshmen to, you know, make it in college. And and then out of nowhere, a year or two later, Ryan switches his majors and then dedicates, I think, what, a year or two years to bodybuilding and transforms his physique, I kid you not, into, what was it, 300? You were trying to basically get ready for like Halloween to look like a Spartan and you <laughs> did it in like spades. Like, it's incredible. Like, I just still remember that as one of the most inspiring things to see in real life where you see, it's like, it's like, it's like watching Spider-Man get bit by a spider. So that, and then, you know, your, your, your pursuits with, with um, your academic career, your professional career. And then, I mean, we'll get into even your, your, your adrenaline junkie um, addiction of, of sports rate, uh, sports car racing, but what's going on, actually. Ryan? Motorcycles well, now. Well, yeah. Mainly motorcycles. Uh, well, you give me way too much credit, first off. Uh, yeah, I remember back when we were both uh, nerdy CS majors, and um, you were, you had to be way more social than me. Um, but, uh, you know, luckily, uh, we were both confident enough to be able to, you know, talk to that stranger next to us in class, and then that's how we basically met. And... Um, after, yeah, you gave a great kind of description of my background, but uh, after I realized I didn't like formal CS classes, I didn't like the major, even though I was excited about, you know, how I could really, you know, use basic programming or scripting to just kind of make my life easier. Um, after that, I uh, switched over to psychology um, and I uh, took a neuroscience class as a major elective. And it was the hands down the best class I've ever taken. And then then I signed up for all the other neuroscience classes that the school offered for undergrad, and then just became so involved in the research my lab was doing. I was just a, an undergrad research assistant, but loved every day of the work. And so then I um, went into the master's and then the doctoral program um, studying um, uh, 
technically human factors and applied cognition, which is how we can take learnings from human psychology and cognitive psychology and design objects based around how we as humans think and work. Uh, for example, you know, if you have to design the cockpit of an airplane, then um, we really can't remember where a billion different switches will go, but if you put all the braking instruments together and you also organize it kind of anatomically, like related to where the braking equipment actually is in the plane, let's say, you know, on the wing flaps on the side, then those controls, you know, should be placed kind of laterally on a, uh, you know, in the cockpit. Mm. Uh, we're just grouping things so our brains can kind of accommodate and uh, learn how to fly quicker and more safely. But so, also so a that, big that, chunk of yeah. That, no, that that brings up a great point. And let's 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 for for my simple mind and and for the audience, let's just define some things. So so what is neuroscience, and and how can we differentiate it from psychology? How can we differentiate it from an what is it is it an applied science, and how is it an applied science? And then and then your example right here when you when you're talking about design, does this fall in line with ergonomics? And 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 touch touch a little bit on that. Yeah, yeah. And and also, I, I don't know anything about planes. The example I gave was uh, just simply that, an example of how you could design this with the principles from human factors and applied cognition, uh, where braking instruments could be clustered, clustered together, but I'm not a pilot, so I actually don't know how they are exactly laid out. But it does take learnings from how uh, uh, the human brain works and things like what are short-term or working memory limits are, and then we can design things around that. Yeah, so cognitive psychology is more based on the uh, uh, essentially how different cognitive components like memory and attention systems work in the brain, and then how that relates to how we as humans work, uh, as opposed to neuroscience, which is different. Um, it's really just the, the study of the human nervous system, which includes our brain, spinal cord, nerves, and, and muscles. and um, as I began my work in human factors and applied cognition, we had a lot of neuroscience professors and researchers in our department, and all of my work was actually shared with them. And the studies I ran were actually, over time, um, closer and more, intertwi more intertwined with uh, the neuroscientists who were using things like brain imaging techniques to study how the brain changes with age, and also how we can do things like monitor uh, the activation of the human attention system. Um, so attention regions in the brain when someone's doing a task that might be, you know, a bigger uh, load. So does that answer your question? Yeah, absolutely. And, and that, I'm kind of embarrassed because for years I've been abusing the word neuroscience and I'm glad you explained it to me because I think it really, the, the neuroscience got really popular even maybe around uh, the, the the first decade of the 2000s because I, I didn't even know what it was in my bachelor career with, with you. Uh, all, all I knew was psychology. And everything was psychology. I mean, if it had to do with the brain, if it had to do with cognition, if it had to do with behavioral science or, uh, you know, anything to do with the mood, it was psychology. And, and then, you know, slowly after I became an engineer and you learn about the intricacies of applied sciences and how you can, you know, I learned the, the phrase decision sciences, you know, you started seeing neuroscience pop up a lot and then it became really popular because, I mean, I don't know, it, it blew up in the past 
two decades and you hear it everywhere and it's being used in sports, it's been used in, in, in the military, it's being used in so many applications. So that's why I, I kind of, I'm embarrassed that I, I use this so much, but you, you, this makes more sense, cognitive psychology and, and, and the distinctions of, um, but I, 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 I guess I'm more interested now in, in what you do because um, I've always, I mean, I think I've all, one of the coolest things is, is when, when you can use science for uh, everyday tasks or your everyday life and, and, and everyday people can, you know, take the tenets or the principles of complex sciences and, and help it improve their own lives. And I think that's kind of like what you're, you're, you're talking about is, you know, like even how you use, when you describe groupings, like I'm sure there's simple tricks and tips that we, we, um, we, we don't even appreciate of how we have habits and we have tendencies that we can actually program. Yeah, that's one of uh, my fun little hobbies on the side, which is just kind of learning more about how the brain works so you can do little life hacks to make your life easier. At the end of the day, that's nice. what we all want, right, is to just be able to do things more easily uh, instead of making life more difficult for ourselves. So, so, you're so you're probably like one of the first life hackers, right? So, so like that's pretty cool. So, so like, like when life hacking became like a big thing, right? Like, uh, like biohacking and life hacking and all this stuff, finding creative ways to, to get shortcuts to the big goal. Um, I know that everyone had their approach, but like you actually – you know, you know the science behind it. So give me some examples. What have you done? What is some fun stuff you've done the past decade to, for human performance or, or whatever it is? Uh, well, uh, I could start off with like the, the earliest stuff I did, which was when I, I realized my, uh, my brain works completely different when I actually get a full night of rest. I'm actually able to remember things more easily, function better, think clearer. And right now, I'm sorry, I've got to be honest, you, uh, you caught me when I'm like the most fatigued because I just finished uh, about 2,600 miles of driving in the last few weeks. I'll tell you more about that later, but uh, basically back to the main point is um, I, when I was younger and I was working in this uh, cognitive psychology lab or this human factors lab um, as an undergrad, uh, I was really interested in how sleep impacts how we, uh, we function as adults. And so I started doing um, uh, uh, or publishing research studies on how sleep impacts memory. And really just for a lot of people, um, the average person gets about, what, six and a half hours of sleep probably. I'm just guessing here. Um, but really there's an opt optimal amount of sleep you can get. And also your brain and your body release different chemicals based on things like ambient light levels. And uh, that... All of that, sound, lighting, all has a big impact on the quality of the sleep you're getting. And your brain isn't able to do a lot of those restorative processes it needs to do, like consolidating memories and stuff like that while you're asleep, if the light is too too bright, or if there's a lot of uh, loud stuff going on outside of your apartment building. I live in Brooklyn, so I have to deal with that a lot. So really just making sure you do basic things like get eight hours of sleep a night, have you know blackout shades, Make sure you're in a quiet, quiet environment. And even though you won't always feel like there's a, a, an actual noticeable difference, you should be able to immediately tell your brain's working a lot better. So that, like now we got we to gotta share stuff, uh, share notes, because uh, it's funny that you mentioned this. 
my friends know me as also like the sleep nerd because I have historically been horrible at, at sleep and I've always tried to find creative avenues to hack my own sleep even though I can't do the basic things. And, 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 and the basic things, you know, the common term is sleep hygiene, right? The sleep ritual. And I'm curious what your sleep ritual is and, and, and if it's similar to mine, because the, the ones that I swear by now are 65 degrees in my bedroom. So that's my, that's my go-to temperature. Um, I have to have the humidity um, pretty high, uh, like, you know, just... I'd say in the 60s, um, just so that my, my, my sinuses are clear. I do have blackout curtains, so it has to be pitch black, absolutely pitch black. Um, I can, and I can't even really do the, 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 uh, the shades on my eyes either. I have, it has to be, you know, I have to have that freedom. I cannot, I, I've, I've experimented but uh, without socks, but uh, because I'm at 65 degrees, I have found that if my feet are cold, then I can't sleep. So now it's this strange, <laughs> strange thing where I, as long as I have socks on and it, you know, I could be completely naked, I could be completely in a, in a robe, whatever it is, or pajamas. But if my sleep, uh, if my feet are covered, I can, I feel this cozy sensation and I just knock, knock out. Um, and then I guess the last one is to even go further. I, uh, take cold showers. So whenever I take an ice bath or a cold shower, that um, raises my my thermic that raises my body heat um, and, and my thermic temperature, and, and therefore that just lulls me to sleep as well. And then, and then the secret sauce is magnesium L3 and 8. I, I swear by it, and uh, yeah, that no. usually helps me. Yeah, um, I'm sorry to interrupt. I've got to ask about the cold showers. How cold are you talking? Okay, so that's a new topic in its in itself. So I'm actually, I've been experimenting. So the reason why I brought up, you know, biohacking is uh, funny enough. And I think we've, we talked about this the last time we had a reunion, maybe like five years ago. I, I was really into Tim Ferriss's books and research. And in one of his early books, The 4-Hour Body, he explored um, cold therapy, right? And um, it's been popularized by Wim Hof, who's like a global sensation in in coaching sleep, uh, coaching uh, both breathing techniques um, as well as cold therapy. And so, long story short, for the past, I'd say, oh, actually, it's been like five years now. Yeah, for five years, I take ice cold showers, and I and and if, if I can't get ice, like if I can't, I don't have time to put ice in a bathtub. I, I just basically turn the knob all the way, you know, to the coldest temperature. And, and we're talking about, I try to get it as close to the thirties. Um, and, and, and if, if anything, and, and during the winter was the best because I could, I have a, I have this, um, makeshift, um, it's like a farming trough a feeding trough, um, that I converted into an ice tub to put on my deck outside and I just, you know, dump ice in it and submerge myself. Um, oh but God. here's the thing. Here's the thing. It, it sounds like very dramatic and theatrical, but when you <laughs> expose yourself to something like that, which you've never done before, and almost like you're putting your body in shock, it's it's it does two things. One is the after effects because it raises your internal temperature, your your your, your thermic temperature. It just it just raises your body heat. You're burning calories. Right, you're 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 naturally producing a lot more energy, and yeah. that's cool. And that that can also tire you out, and therefore you'll you know go to sleep. The second thing that's that's pretty cool 
And this is something that I wonder if you've ever explored this is, you know, depending on where the, the contact points are for the cold therapy, and especially if you're, you know, fully submerged up to your neck, um, there is some influence to the hypothalamus and therefore you produce all of the good, you know, feel good hormones that can, you know, like serotonin included and, you know, they help just make your mood just, just become this incredible human being afterwards like you feel like a million bucks and that is my drug now like if i i don't need coffee that is my drug i i can if i start my day with a cold shower no matter what happened the night before no matter if i didn't sleep that will both activate my brain it will keep me sharp it'll it'll give me that that pep in my step um it'll keep me focused it'll be and it just makes me feel happy so, and, and I don't know a single person that can say otherwise that's done it. And I've, and I've turned so many people onto it that would never have done it before without, you know, um, me pestering them. But once they've done it, um, they get it. Wow. I, I don't know anyone else who does that. Um, also didn't, I didn't know about the linkage with the hypothalamus. Um, but, uh, so you're saying that uh, you will take like ice baths or, or super cold showers if you don't have, you know, uh, the ability to do an ice bath. And then at the end of the day, it helps you sleep better because your body is burning more calories and, and stuff like that. Correct. Yeah. So, so I originally, when I did this, I don't know, maybe back in like 2016, I was, I wanted to be the next Ryan McGarry. I wanted to be ripped. So I was like, Hey, I, I, I want, I don't, but I don't want to put the work in. Right. So I see, here's the funny thing that that's a totally different lesson I learned right there. You know, the shortcuts of biohacking and, and the ramifications of doing that. But, but the cool thing is the one the good thing out of all that is I, I was put on to cold therapy and, and even though I was trying to do it to get shredded or burn calories and burn fat, ultimately, um, the side effect, which was even more tremendous and beneficial was, you know, just the, the mental therapy, the, the behavioral therapy that I, that I got out of it. So that was, you know, I definitely enjoyed that more. Well, I, I have a friend who does a lot of lifting and uh, he's a very fit guy and he's always shared his workout routines with me, giving me a, a ton of pointers. Whenever I go visit him, he, he lives in Seattle now um, and, and works for Amazon. And so whenever we get a chance to hang up, uh, hang out or catch up, uh, we'll always make sure to get some exercise time in. Uh, he told me about uh, some guys who he knew because he played football for a long time recreationally. And he said some guys we knew who played with him would run their water uh, through ice to lower their body temperature so that their bodies would have to burn more calories uh, heating up their core temperature again. Do you, but I never even got a chance to really look into uh, it, whether that burns a ton of calories or if it's just really more of a mental thing. And you're already so, in that you know, mental zone where you're doing everything you can to burn a ton of calories and just makes you try harder when you're working out and all the associated functions. Yeah, so, so it's, it's been too long for me to, to quote any uh, data, but look oh. up the, this guy, his name is Ray Cronice. That's C-R-O-N-I-S-E, Ray Cronice. He's a NASA material scientist that was actually cited in the original book by uh, Tim Ferriss. And, and he's the one that did the TED talk and the research into um, what they call, uh, uh, I guess there's different names for it. One is contrast therapy. Um, one is, uh, I think it's, um, it's, like, it's basically this idea that you, you use your thermic 
the, the thermic heat of your body to produce, uh, to, to basically capitalize on the energy expenditure. And that naturally, you know, just, just the law of equivalent exchange means that you will, you know, consume energy. And then if you are doing everything else right, that energy will come in the form of the fat storage, right? Um, but Ray Cronice was one of those guys that signaled a lot of this this research initially. Um, and I think a lot of this is is being tested across the board in every type of performance sport. Now, here's the other thing. Even if you're not doing it for that, it is proven like for decades upon decades upon decades as a therapeutic technique, right? So you can use it for rehabilitating pain you can do it for you know just re reducing cortisol you can do use it for all host of things i mean the cold it, like wim hof says you know uh the the cold is your mistress like it's incredible it's like it's underappreciated because here's the thing i think re the real reason why people don't do it it's not because of of they're scared of the cold they're, they're scared of the idea right so like it, it that initial shock of when you do an ice plunge, like if you've ever done an ice plunge or just gone into an ice cold lake or whatever it is, that initial plunge lasts for what? Maybe three seconds, five seconds, right? But once you're in it, your body acclimates. You know, your body is resilient. It, it, it adapts, right? It, your heart rate slows down. You, you start producing more body heat. So you will balance yourself out. And, and you breathe, you know, breathe more de deeply because, you know, you're, you're in shock for a little sec few seconds. But as long as you're calm and, and, and then you realize how incredible it feels, oh, my gosh. And then here's the best part. Um, after you get out of that experience, like let's say you only yeah. last for a minute and you get out of that experience and you just go back to normal temperature. You get out of the shower. You get out of the bathtub. Your body is not cold anymore instantaneously because of that thermic temperature that that thermic heat that just that's raising uh that's just that, that's gone so high right and and i mean you've measured galvanic skin, skin response and all that stuff so i used to do that too and i was like wow it's insane because like your body is like a nuclear reactor it just like produces energy so efficiently and so so after that you don't even need to worry like you're 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 just walking around with a towel you're fine so huh, you should wow. you should definitely test it. It's pretty cool. Uh, well, uh, I mean, if you're really into biohacking stuff, then there's there's something I think you'd love to hear about. Um, I, have you ever heard of a um, brain stimulation technique? Uh, uh, literally taking a device it, and applying. Uh, well, uh, there's a whole field that's uh, basically dedicated to understanding how you can shock a certain part of the brain with a device. It's called TDCS. Uh, it stands okay. for direct. Uh, it, it stands for uh, transcranial direct current stimulation, um, and TDCS is basically a way of stim uh, uh, applying a shock or electrical stimulation to a certain part oh, of the brain I know what to yeah, enhance yeah, yeah. its function, and it's temporary. Yeah, so they but, they do this for, really for also pro, for programming cues, right? And people that may have like, um, like, like triggers or something where they, you know, like, I think they've tried this once for, for, for helping people with eating disorders or something like, you know, helping them with, with changing their, their, their habits or um, they even have consumer electronics that do that now. Like you can actually wear like watches and stuff. Is that what, what you're talking about? Uh, you know, just uh, shocked, the, the whole idea of being shocked? Well, uh, 
electroconvulsive therapy, which is uh, also just more colloquially called shock therapy, is something that was used for, for things a lot back in the day in more uh, therapeutic types of environments or applications. But this is actually something different where there's uh, a much milder current that's applied um, in a steady uh, fashion for a while. We're talking uh, like about 20 minutes, maybe 30 minutes, and you just leave the, the device on. And um, it can help with, uh, there's a lot of uh, clinical uh, research that's been done demonstrating it's really effective for helping to treat certain uh, psychological issues, depression, uh, probably eating disorders. Uh, that's, it's actually not really my area of expertise, but I've done published research studies on how you can use it for uh, other specific things. Um, like, uh, helping to enhance working memory performance. Um, and we're not talking for the rest of your life or, or even for a few days. When, the, when you have this device and you're wearing it, you can buy one. Yeah, you asked if you can buy one online and they sell these uh, all over. You can just jump on Amazon. I'm sure there are at least 20 different websites that sell these, these units. You can probably pick one up for like, uh, you know, anywhere from like 100 to 500 bucks. Um, but they are really effective at helping you for shorter periods, like the lasting effects will maybe be 30 minutes, 45, which is good if you're example? cramming for a test. Yeah, like, so, like uh, of a product? Um, a specific uh, product name, well, I can just jump on Amazon because actually uh, I got one for my business partner as a Chris Christmas gift uh, about a year and a half ago, and I'm just jumping on Amazon now. And it's actually not hard to build these devices, so uh, you don't have oh, to worry about. You just uh, opened you know, up. The, you just opened up my eyes. If you're if you're saying it's not too too hard to build, oh my gosh, this is happening. There now. are people. There are people who have YouTube page, uh, you know, YouTube videos. I'm sure, and they show you how to build them. I wouldn't necessarily recommend doing that because you are shocking your brain. Um, but uh, I'm looking at one right now uh, on Amazon. It's called the Brain Driver TDCS device version two. It's $135, um, and uh, it basically outputs at different um, uh, amperages. And uh, this is the only thing that's well. This is the most important thing. As long as you get a device that does at least one and a half milliamps, um, then you're going to be getting uh, enough of a shock to be able to excite the part of your brain that relates to whatever specific function it is that you're interested in enhancing. So, so I, I ran this, yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead, go ahead. I, I, I'm, I'm just all ears right now, keep going. Oh, okay, yeah, so um, an example is uh, I ran this study and, and we published it. There's a lot of work that's doing this stuff. I'm definitely not the only one and I'm, I'm definitely not an expert on this, but uh, we basically gave people working memory tasks and we hooked the participants up to uh, this device. And we uh, placed uh, the little, there's a, a wet sponge that you have on your arm um, and then another one on your head. And you have to place it on the part of the head that corresponds to the, the brain region of interest. So here we um, had half of our subjects in a control condition and the other half in the actual experimental condition. And they were all doing this working memory task um, in you know, a quiet, isolated room in our lab. This is at George Mason University. Um, and the control subjects, only got a really low dose, a dose, something like a half a milliamp. 
Um, but the people in the experimental condition, they got a bigger dose, enough to be able to actually excite the brain enough to turn on the working memory, memory center in the brain and help them perform that working memory test better. So if you're looking to do something like cram for a test, you can just you know, download a little PDF that'll, or look up a study that'll show you the right part on your head where you can place the uh, uh, electrode and then zap your brain and you'll get about you know, a half hour of like way better performance as you're trying to remember stuff before your test. This is insane to me. So, so the the way that you're just you're, you know nonchalantly just bringing this up is just is mind blowing because I, I would think that this would be the most like this would be the the a game changer and 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 basically there's no need for nootropics there's no need for you know Adderall and all these other things that were big back in college. I mean everyone should have been doing this. I mean th this is like <laughs> like. I, I don't know why this is not the biggest thing on campus like right now. Like this is incredible. I mean, especially for the examples you're giving, like a pop quiz or whatever. Um, so, so I guess let's get into this though. I mean, uh, what are the disclaimers? Like, I'm trying to, I'm trying to look at this right now on Amazon right now. Like, it, it just literally looks like a toy you would buy at the store. I mean, at, at, um, you know, whatever Brookstone. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, they, they make these devices. Some of them look pretty professional, but the ones they use in, you know, scientific studies, they'll uh, be built by, you know, actual scientific companies where it looks a little less pretty, um, but it is, uh, you know, exactly what you paid for. And here, you do want to make sure that you're not getting too high of a dose, um, but it is pretty safe. Um, and by pretty safe, I mean safe enough where institutional review boards who make sure you're not going to hurt any participants, they're making sure that you're following all the proper ethical guidelines. They, uh, you know, they uh, have been approving this stuff for research for, for years. So uh, it's very difficult to actually, you know, get hurt doing anything like this. Um, really? I, uh, I had to write a grant and so I actually hooked myself up and I was uh, you know, stimulating my brain, shocking my brain as I was writing this grant because I was getting close to a deadline. This was a few months ago. <laughs> Shut the heck up. This is incredible because like right now what I'm thinking about is like, especially when we're doing all of this work from home, virtual, remote work, new quarantine, lifestyle dynamic, like this would be the hottest product on the market because now that you have these disconnected teams and a higher output and because you have these new types of work-life balances, I would think this would be one of those Christmas gifts to give. I mean, like uh, this is like the coolest thing ever because I mean, just imagine you're a, I don't know, a product team or some team that's very deadline oriented and has to put out something, um, you know, that's, that requires a lot of, you know, all nighters and, and uh, high output. I mean, do this before a major deadline. And I, I don't know. That's incredible. I, I don't know what the, the ethic, uh, the efficiency is based on product by product, but I mean, it's worth a test at least. I mean, for the <laughs> investment of 150 bucks. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, and really, I mean, as long as you're just using the right um, amperage and uh, you have it in the right spot on your head, uh, it doesn't matter which pro product you get. They're probably all, all going to be about the same as long as it's actually outputting that milliamp uh, that you select. Um, it, but the only downside is you just have to wet these little uh, sponge pads with water and then put them on, put one on your head. So, you know, if you're, let's say, working in a crowded office and you don't want to mess up your hair, or if you're afraid of looking, you know, a little funny with this thing on, 
then it's it's going to be a little annoying. But other than that, as long as you're using your time wisely while you're actually using the device, because you know it only lasts for about a half an hour, um, then you're really going to be able to perform a lot better at what whatever it is that you're trying to actually do. As long as you're not just you know, shocking your brain and playing Call of Duty for the next two hours, then you'll probably just get a little bit better at Call of Duty. <laughs> so wait, 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 wait. So, so let, let's let's get into the uh, applications again. So, so what have you tested or what have you observed, um, and and drawn some some level of of conclusions or or anecdotes on? Because I, I'm gonna just hit you with a couple of of ideas that I have for 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 immediate application that's both fun and just makes sense because military is obvious. Like, I mean, when you go into war and you're right before and you have to, you know, get on the battlefield, uh, I mean, I, or imagine on how the long soldiers' helmets were, or imagine yeah, the exactly. helmets were. Yeah, exactly. Instrumentation. Them. Yep. Or, then, or if you, uh, there's an inexpensive period, you know, where they have to uh, train a fighter pilot and they're using sims as much as they can, but if he's actually going to be, flying the planes during training, you want to get the most out of that and make sure that he's performing at his best and soaking in everything, then TDTS is something that could help uh, if it's being applied while he's flying. So have you seen, oh, and this brings up another tangent, which is, um, so one of the things back in the day, I mean, two decades ago, ago when I was really in, into uh, football, like I was obsessed with football. I used to, I tried out for the club team in college too, and I used to play flag religiously. And then I, and then I gave it up when the NFL just became embarrassing and I just, I just didn't <laughs> respect it anymore. Um, and, and, but like the thing that I always also enjoyed was watching the training camps for the athletes and how in they had become over the years and the quarterbacks themselves they got the the best treatment because they had these indoor facilities dedicated to these special specialists that for example like a quarterback they, they'd actually have these helmets with strobe lights right and um the whole idea is they would wear a helmet it has a visor it's completely pitch black but um it's it's digitized so that it can uh, both become dark and completely translucent based upon you know uh, a digitizer and in the visor so and then that is coded so that you can actually have a frequency so it's almost like a shutter so the shutter opens for a split second and during a practice drill they have to make a decision in that window of time so they have to see the field, make a decision, and then it goes pitch black again. So that that strobe effect teaches and trains their their, their brain and themselves to make um, quicker decisions and 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 fine tune their reflexes. So that combined with something like this, I I just see so many parallels, but also just so many uh, interesting human performance training techniques. You know, like I, I got one. One of the questions also comes. I want to ask you is the science behind this because um, you you talk about placement. So so what is what is the what is the relationship of the placement? What what is that part of the brain doing, and what is it responsible for, and why is it limited to? I'm reading here what 20 minutes, um, or I don't know how long, but and and how why is it 20 minutes, or why is it whatever short period of time and and what is the voltage um, specifically at average and 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 how does that relate to what our brain puts out in terms of the frequencies in terms of the current oh yeah well it, you know to set up one of these things you can do it pretty quickly you know if you've done it a few times you can probably get it set up on on yourself or on a participant in you know maybe five or ten minutes max ten minutes 
And you basically have these two little sponges that you wet. Um, and they're attached to uh, two wires that go to the main TDCS device. So you have the active electrode, basically the wet sponge, um, and you just have to place that over the, uh, the, uh, the part of your scalp where the underlying brain tissue is associated with the function that you're interested in. So if the part of the brain underneath is for, um, we can say, uh, higher order cognition, planning, um, you know, uh, allocation of attention, focusing attention, you're probably going to do a lot better on attention style tasks. Or if it's for something else, like let's say uh, working memory control, then you know that's the work that I was doing demonstrating that stimulation of uh, that part of the brain um, enhances you know performance on a computer-based working memory task. And you're spinning around like uh, at least one and a half milliamps. Um, it's not enough to damage uh, to damage your scalp, it's not enough to even hurt. You probably won't feel it at all. Um, but you, a lot of these studies, or all of these studies, will have a control condition. Um, just because if you think that you know you're going to be doing better because of this device, then you're you might be experiencing the the placebo effect, and you're going to try a lot harder, be more optimistic. So the placebos are usually like half a milliamp, maybe one milliamp. And if you're getting a device that only goes up that high, it's fake. It's not doing enough. And they're claiming that it, it's powerful enough to help you, but it's not. Um, so what is, the, what is the highest you've seen in a study? Uh, well, um, I mean, to be honest, uh, I, I haven't read a ton of papers on this, maybe like 20, 30 papers or so uh, going over this stuff when I had to set up my study and, and do the, the, the work to publish it. But um, I, I don't see them going above like maybe four milliamps. It's possible they go higher. Um, really, the, the core of my work was using um, devices like EEG and fMRI to investigate how uh, attention systems in the brain work, which uh, parts of the brain are involved, and then how we can use this to um, perform better in daily life or to make specific recommendations for, uh, you know, uh, the specific grant funding agency. So, so let's, let's touch on that though. And, and I, forgive me for, you know, getting so nerdy about this, 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 uh, T, uh, TDCS because you just no, no. opened my brain and, and, and you know what I'm about to buy after this call. So this is going to be crazy. Like <laughs> I can, I, you, I can send you a link to the one I bought if you want. Oh, please do, because yeah, I, I'm right now standing in front of, uh, so my setup right now, I, I have built a home gym with, uh, with Alan's help. And now I, I, I know what the last piece of this, this gym puzzle is going to be. I'm going to body build and then I'm going to mind build with this device. It's going to be, a, I'm going to have a station dedicated to the TDCS and it's going to have like a, I don't know, it'll have a, like, 10 books on there and I'm going to read them I, I all. I love it. You have out. a new business idea. <laughs> Fringe it. This is amazing. Now, now I have to have you over because we're going to do, we're going to make this the lab. We're going to, this is going to be the, the, the next phase of your research. You know, like how much can I learn while I'm deadlifting with TDCS? Like that, that's going to be the new thing, the, the, the meta learning of while you're, 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 you know, bodybuilding. We're going to do it. We're going to catch up once I'm back in Virginia. Awesome.
So, so tell me about the, the parts of the brain. I, I want to get into to what you do. And, and, I, and I, you know, back in the day, I, I, I think it was like elementary school or, or, uh, or high school. I used to read about fMRIs and I thought they were the coolest technology ever, but like nobody really cared about them. And I, I, they're like the most pivotal um, uh, piece of technology that changed the world. And, and now we're using it in so many creative ways, especially like experimental economics at George Mason. They were the first to pioneer like using that to, to measure um, uh, the activity based uh, activity uh, while we're making decisions and 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 all these things and now you're you've been using it in your research so so tell me a little bit of just just the basics of of the different parts of the brain because I, I have a picture up right now and it's color coded because I'm a dum dum and and With like the, it shows, the four cortices yeah yeah yep the four cortices and I want to know like you know what do you study and why why is it interesting and and what is there what is there left to understand yeah uh, well I mean you know you have the the four main cortices in the brain you have the the frontal lobe uh, temporal, parietal, and occipital. You know, you have uh, the frontal lobe for higher order cognition, planning, problem solving, reasoning. Um, it's related to emotional regulation, everything that makes us human, basically. Um, uh, then on uh, the top part of the brain, if you're looking at a picture of it right now, um, then you have the parietal lobe. Uh, mm -hmm. And I mean, a textbook that you crack open is just going to list uh, another like 100 different things that it's been shown to be associated with. So it's kind of a broad uh, or uh, localization of function. This part of the brain does a lot. Um, some things that it's uh, you know associated with or some things that it helps with are uh, functions such as um, identifying um, where an object is in space. So if you look at a picture of let's say uh, you know a, a cityscape and you're looking at the building, this information is you know hitting your retinal cells uh so those photons of light are hitting your your retinas traveling through uh your optic nerves past the optic chiasm which is underneath the brain um and then it hits the occipital cortex first and this is the visual cortex it processes basic visual information but then it doesn't stop there because there's a lot of stuff your brain has to do after so you're looking at this cityscape and you're looking at a specific building and it, uh, that information um, travels to the parietal cortex to help you identify like where that building is relative to the other buildings. It helps you kind of make sense of it on a basic level. And at the same time, there's another big pathway in the brain that goes down to the temporal cortex. Um, and this helps you process what that object actually is. Uh, if you crack open your psych textbook or just Google it, uh, it'll uh, probably first say the temporal cortex is really important for, for processing auditory information. That's primarily what this cortex does, but it really does do a lot. Um, and then once your brain understands what the object is that you're looking at and where it is, and it's traveling near memory centers um, in the same cortex so that you can identify you know, is, is that a, a city that I remember? Have I been there? Going through all these personal memories, then it hits the frontal cortex at the end. And that's where it really helps you to understand some complex themes that you're looking at. Um, so those are the, the four cortices in a nutshell. And we've done a lot so, of like- What is the yeah, difference, if I may ask academically, of a lobe versus a cortices? Oh, I'm sorry, what was your question? 
so I, I, in, in my, in my, you know, my Googleopedia, there is a, a um, terminology of the lobe, you know, the temporal lobe, the octip yeah. occipital lobe, and all that. So, what's the difference when you when people use the term lobe and then the cortex? Uh, oh. I, if, I'm, if my understanding is the cortex is the outer uh, layer of the cerebellum, or am I wrong, or what, what's the what's the relationship there? Oh yeah, um, you can say that there are four lobes of the brain. Um, cortex typically refers to the, the outer covering of the brain, which is the most important part for you know um, complex planning and problem solving. Okay. Um, but people just kind of colloquially refer to it as uh, like they'll they'll call the um, uh, temporal lobe the temporal cortex, and it's it's essentially the same thing, but more specifically, it is they are probably referring to the outer most okay, covering got of it, that cortex. Got, 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 got it, got it, got it, got it. Okay. Yep, yeah. Yep, yep. yeah. And so, I mean, um, because of things like uh, the advancement of neuroimaging technologies like fMRI, they've been able to, you know, identify the specific uh, functions associated with these different parts of the brain. Um, and then that just kind of advances the things that we can uh, uh, learn about and also the, the knowledge we get for specific applications. So I talked a lot about how, like, I basically started doing cognitive psychology work in a human factors department. But we also, uh, you know, I was working with neuroscientists because the, you know, it doesn't end there. We have to use different techniques to understand um, how the different parts of the brain relate to one another to get a more full picture of uh, what's going on. Uh, and so after that, I actually got more into the neuroscience field. And so that's why now I work as a neuroscientist uh, at Spark Neuro. That's fantastic. I, I honestly have a, a deep appreciation um, for what you do because it, it has uh, a lot of connective tissue, pun intended, for with uh, <laughs> with uh, with behavioral science, right, and mood disorders. Um, yeah. Because um, I have I have a lot of friends, unfortunately, and and loved ones with with mood disorders that have debilitated their lives and this chronic illnesses and and it's always been fascinating to me over the years because I've had to accompany them on on therapy sessions and other things to to help them out and as I've observed it over the years we we still don't have I I think personally this is my personal opinion we don't have um, the best uh, um, therapeutic plans and. Um, to treat some of these cases, and and it's it's very prehistoric the way we handle it, um, especially for for people that can't get adequate care who are who are going through, um, you know, social services or whatever. They're 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 not really getting to the heart and root cause of their issues. And so when you take that and combine it to just the basics of being a human being and using, you know, let's say just using products like consumer products, they're not designed for people with serious mental illness. They're not designed for people with cognitive decline. They're not designed for people with special needs. And, uh, you know, I would love for the industry to start, you know, focusing deeply and, and emphatically in this area because there's so many underserved. In fact, this is one of the, my hot button issues for the past uh, two years as I started my company because I'm trying to learn as much as I can um, to make better choices in how I teach and how I uh, uh, coach others um, and, and the techniques you use so that it can be more universally applied rather than just catering to the people that have two arms, two legs and, and a clear brain to work with, um, which is, you know, again, underserving an entire population. 
Um, but yeah, I, I, I think it's, I, I'm so impressed with, with what you're doing. And I, I think that there's so much, so much to do. There's so much to do and so much to learn. It's incre- incredible. Um, oh, well, I mean, thanks. I think you, you give me too much credit, but it's something that I, I love doing. I love learning about this stuff. And uh, because, you know, um, uh, it's just so fascinating. Uh, it's like something where I essentially never feel like I'm, I'm really working, you know, uh, enjoy yeah. what you do and you'll never uh, work a day in your life. Um, so, so tell, so tell me a little bit about um, uh, Spark Neuro, and and I, I I've I've watched the news reels, I've uh, I've I've perused the articles on his history since 2017. Your founder's a an amazing guy. I think the technology is pretty cool, and the application is, I, I think it's it's that's why I started this whole this whole discussion by saying this is the hottest new trend because I do see it as kind of like the the more substantive way of doing um, analysis and running marketing research. I mean, who, who is going to, I think one of your, one of your company's um, uh, promotional materials even made this point that it's so, it's so dated to do those, um, uh, those surveys and, and uh, what do they call it? Those closed trials and, and oh, yeah, um, like one-on-one interviews, focus interviews groups. and focus groups and all those things. And, and when you compare it to something like this, which where you're actually measuring uh, definitively what is going on and what are all the, the literally the human factors involved in what they're paying attention to. I mean, what gets better than that? Um, I, I'm curious also to, to know um, if you could also explain like the the science behind the five, I think it's what, four or five things you guys measure and how they relate to one another to help inform those decisions. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I joined the company when it was actually located in Bethesda, Maryland, and it was a user experience research company. And they also did their own design uh, design work. So we would do uh, things like uh, usability studies for different clients uh, to either enhance the usability of uh, a certain website um, or a, a product that that a company was uh, working on. And so a lot of that would involve just you know bringing in participants, doing one one-on-one interviews, perhaps showing them the website or the product. Uh, and maybe using eye tracking um, if it was a website or if they were on a tablet, uh, like testing out an app. And then we would record where they were looking um, and, and asking them to, you know, uh, let's say we're testing out a website. We would say, why don't you go ahead and create a new user, log in, and we would see where their eyes would go on the screen to identify, okay, everyone looks in the upper right-hand corner. That's where most toolbars are located, maybe. Um, and uh, we actually have the create a new user button at the bottom. So move that up to the corner. Um, and uh, we would ask people how they felt about the design, what they liked, what they didn't. And we really, uh, I, actually, the Spencer Gerald, the CEO, uh, thought, you know, it would actually be way better if instead of just asking people what they like, which website design do they prefer, um, if instead we could actually measure their feelings directly. And that's when I actually started as an intern um, back about seven years ago. Um, And he brought me in with a group of other people, uh, other interns um, and some full-time staff to run the initial set of research studies to um, uh, see 
what could we build that would measure things like your brain and your bodily response to directly measure your emotions? Um, and since I had a lot of uh, experience understanding how uh, attention works in the brain, I told him that, you know, that's something that we should really do because it's something you can very objectively measure, um, or at least more, a little more so than emotions, I should say. Uh, so we, um, and, and uh, the other employees actually ended up leaving or, uh, you know, going on to other companies. I was the main person to stay on, and eventually I got promoted as uh, I designed and ran a bunch of research studies uh, using different devices to measure attention and emotions in the brain. Um, so EEG is like the most important one, uh, which EEG stands for electroencephalography. It's basically just a headset that the experimenter places on your head and it uses gel or saline solution um, that's uh, placed on these little electrodes and it measures the different frequencies and amplitudes of uh, brain waves. So we can see I love which parts that of the brain are more active. That I I did that when I did my uh, sleep study, and um, I yeah. was I think I think I I totally um, annoyed the lab staff when I did it because I had a hundred questions before bedtime. <laughs> like I was I was just so fascinated by hey, this. I took I, a million I, photos. I love participants like that. Like you guys are the best because you're actually the most interested, and I know I'm going to get good data from you. But it's the people who don't care and ask no questions that I'm the most worried about. So, so actually, you may you want to take you may want to take reconsider that because I I, uh, I remember when it happened. So, so that's a totally another another topic for another day. But I have a I have some qualms about how we run sleep studies in in America. Uh, at least, well, I won't say America. I've only done it in Virginia. But but the sleep studies done in in this area by the pulmonology groups and and different specialists. It's it's just like. It, it's just a marketing scheme, honestly, to just uh, sell CPAP <laughs> and BiPAP machines. They don't really care about all that data they're collecting. They're just trying to find if you have obstructive sleep apnea, you know. And oh. I, like for for example, I I didn't have sleep apnea yet. As we've talked about in, in this entire uh, in early in this discussion, I've had sleeping issues and and nowhere in that 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 study that they did on me which was like whatever three thousand five thousand dollars worth of um you know time uh they and they did so many they, they did so much instrumentation that they didn't even tell me any other factors to um the testing so for example they'll, they'll, they'll run the reports they'll give you g um output and all that but they'll focus so much on your breathing right so like sure they'll say oh there might have been a correlation with the times you were in deep sleep or REM sleep and whatever, but they're not going to factor in, you know, um, whether or not you were on your left side, right side, the temperature of the room or whatever it is, the activity of your brain based upon the time of, you know, your sleep or whatever, they're just going to go focus on that. And that's why I was really, I, I was kind of sad by that because I felt like there was so much more to unpack because of my sleeping issues, especially because I had to find it out on my own that at the end of the day, the thing that was bothering me the most was that I actually had sinus inflammation, which was observed at home. So when you're in a controlled study like they were doing, which is a pristine environment, you can't measure for that, right? So so all, when I was at home, I had contaminants because either my air filters were not clean or whatever in the data obviously could not reveal that because I'm not I'm not um, running the test at home 
so anyway, long story short, like that's yeah. that's my appreciation for the EEG, and I've always wanted one so that I could always, you know, run the test at home and then you know compare it to that 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 study and 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 do my own anecdotal analysis. <laughs> well, maybe I can bring one over when I. Uh you maybe next week or so. Ryan, um, you're my best friend now. You know that, right? Hey, you know, I, I right. have a couple just sitting in my shelf. <laughs> that is hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I mean, hey, we, we had to buy a lot for work, so I'll, I'll drop by and hook you up. <laughs> awesome. So, so yeah, um, so there's EEG, and then what else? There's spatial yeah. coding. Yeah, that's right. So there, there are five main um, uh, measurements that we take. Uh, there is brain activity using EEG. This allows us to pick up on your level of cognitive attention, um, and also emotional valence, which is how positive versus negative you're feeling about something. Ah, um, what's this? And also, it's not that clear. Uh, you know, there is also a lot of um, approach with draw uh, that's intermingled in uh, those uh, the brain mechanisms that we're picking up on. But it does kind of tell how much you uh, like something that you're engaged in. How how does that measure it? What what is the instrument to to to, to use to measure this? It, uh, well, it's using the EEG, but uh, there are different types of frequencies of brain activation oh. that, are, that, that inform us about someone's emotions. So, for example, uh, prefrontal uh, alpha asymmetry, um, basically a difference in the amount of alpha wave activity we see in uh, the left versus right prefrontal cortex is uh, strongly indicative of whether someone is uh, feeling more positively or negatively about something. You have more act, uh, alpha activity in the left versus right prefrontal cortex. That means that you feel more positive or you like whatever you're looking at a little more. Uh, and more activity in the right prefrontal cortex versus left means you dislike it. And again, like I said, it's not 100% because sometimes uh, you may feel, let's say, uh, a little afraid of something, you know, and that will be a negative feeling and that's more of a withdrawal. But there are times where you're more aggressive and, you know, you want to attack something that would be more of an approach, but it's also negative, right? So it's just throwing that out there. But it's pretty so, cool. So, so you said, that we can so you said left, left is like, right is dislike. That's right. Okay. Okay, so so th so that's where you know when you when you have major brain trauma or injury, this can actually change. You know, this could this could develop into mood disorders too, right? Because I, I've heard like stories of people that almost become uh, their personalities transform, like they change when they've had you know brain injuries. And I'm guessing there's a relationship right here in in, in the emotional valence and and what what is affected in in terms of this alpha frequency or or, or how it's output? It, um, so alpha asymmetry is also associated with uh, things like mood impairments, but it's, it's not always a, you know, a clear picture with like a single sentence. They'll usually find there is an association between differential uh, you know, frontal alpha asymmetry levels and specific mood disorders, things like that. Um, but kind of you know, more simply, hey, you see uh, a bigger difference in left versus right alpha activity, you know that there's some strong emotion the person's probably feeling. But that's also just one of the examples of ways you can look at some affective, uh, you know, or yeah, some yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in, a, in a person. Um, so that's using EEG. Um, we also use a, a few other sensors uh, like GSR, which stands for galvanic skin response. And this is a little device that we place on your wrist and we have little 
sen sensor leads that go to your fingers. And uh, it, uh, as you know, you start to get excited, let's say you're wearing this device, you're going up a roller coaster, up that first big hill. And you know, it's going clank, 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 clank. And you start to see, you know, right as you're getting to the very top of that first huge drop, uh, you start to get pretty nervous. Your hands are getting sweaty. Uh, GSR picks up on um, the uh, conductance levels um, as your hands get sweatier. And the thing is, if, if you're watching, let's say, uh, kind of an exciting movie trailer and you don't feel like your hands are clammy, but let's say it's an action scene, if that's what excites you, your hands will uh, be constantly releasing small amounts of sweat that you usually can't feel, but this device is sensitive enough to pick up on these small changes that arise due to your autonomic nervous system activation. Oh, you're talking my language. I love the ENS. <laughs> I, I'm such a nerd about the ENS, CNS, PNS, man. I, I, and that's kind of why I brought up cold therapy. That's, it's all about programming and controlling your CNS and, and your ANS. It's, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's the coolest way to influence it, but in, in, in top of breathing techniques. But um, I, something you said about the GSR, it, it kind of stuck with me. And, you know, it, for, for all my 2.5 listeners out in the world, they, they're probably going to be pulling their their hair out because I'm, I'm being such a elementary school kid about all these questions and and forgive me I I my job is much simpler than Ryan's but um, I I am very interested to know um, have you guys ever studied the relationship of like things that are stuff like cortisol levels stress levels um, in relationship to whatever you're testing with with GSR for example, like there, there obviously there has to be a relationship whenever you're excited or you have a stress response or something, um, sweaty palms included. Um, and, and I only ask you this question because cortisol has been my second most interesting subject for the past decade because I naturally have extremely high cortisol. I'm always running high. Like no matter what I do in life, I'm always like high, high, high. And I, I've done, if you're familiar with the VO2 max test, the endurance test, I used to do that whenever I used to do endurance sports. And uh, one of the tests actually done at George Mason, the smart lab, um, when I was doing it, they had to stop the test in the middle and I had all this you know, the contraptions, you know, hooked up to me and, and the tubes and stuff. And I was running on the treadmill and they had to stop the trial in the middle of me running because they were scared I was going to have a heart attack. Um, and, and so they wanted me to go get tested and, you know, thinking that I had some abnormality. And all we found out, you know, was that my baseline heart rate and my cortisols are, are pretty high. So. Long story short, I've always been intrigued by the ways we measure stress response and, and excitement and just, you know, yeah, exactly. And, and so just the relationship, if you guys have ever done any or thought about, you know, measuring that as part of some of your, your analysis. No, and, and I wouldn't be surprised if there were some research groups that put these sensors together, a couple of these sensors to look at how they relate to one another. You know, I mean, uh, but another thing is now uh, I talked about how our company originally was called Spark Experience. We were based in Bethesda. Then uh, the uh, uh, founder sold off the company, spun up a new one, uh, just me, him, and then the uh, the third business colleague, uh, who's now our president. And uh, we, we called the new company Spark Neuro, moved it up to New York. And 
if we had to measure, uh, you know, the stress hormone cortisol in uh, New Yorkers in the middle of the day, rushing <laughs> and taking the subway to get to our lab and going back to work, everyone would be sky high. So uh, I just kind of stuck to what I know, which is um, things like emotions and attention, brain. Oh, fair uh, enough. I, I, I'm trying to milk you life. for all your, your knowledge because I think it's I, – I just have this feeling that you guys are on the precipice of not just, you know, using this for business-to-business -business, uh, solutions, but but you're on the precipice of using this as a real preventative tool for, 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 for preventative medicine and diagnostics because um, – one of my core beliefs in, in anything that has to do with um, telemedicine or health IT is data, you know, collecting data. And the more yeah. data you collect, the, the, the more uncertainty you can remove and the more errors you can remove. And, and more, more uh, variability in that data, the diversity of that data, I mean, only helps improve the visualization. And, and one of those things is the chemistry. And that's when you get into, you know, hormones and cortisol. And if, there was an, if there's a company out there, you know, who can do that, who can measure it instantaneously, could take like a, you know, a serum uh, reading of cortisol and within an hour of you getting tested for all the other cool stuff you guys do, not only would that allow you to understand your behavior, your mood, you'd be able to pinpoint what is giving you that behavior, you know, you know, with more of a confidence level. Right. So it, if it's if it's not just like, you know, the reaction to the politics, if it's not just reaction to the colors yeah. or the, the way they're speaking, but also because, oh, wait, you're also been sedentary for this entire day. And therefore, you know, this inactive lifestyle is going to be making you more hypersensitive uh, and have a have a, a greater response to those the stimuli. I mean, uh, I actually don't even know how long it takes them to do that now. I, I, I assume that they, what, to test your cortisol levels, they take a blood sample, run it in the lab, and, and then how long does that take them? Yeah, I, I think uh, for me, it was, uh, I think they did it uh, with urines. Uh, and um, it, it, the problem is not the testing, it's, it's the, it's the, it's the, it's the institution and the whole, the way that it works, you know, you have to send things to the lab. So I was, I was hoping for at this point, an Amazon kit, you know, like you can measure your testosterone at home, right? You can measure your, you know, whatever you can measure your ketones, you can measure your glucose. Now, if we could get to a point where we can measure your cortisol, boom, we're in business. Like, like uh, well, geez, if that was uh, just something that you could place in your toilet and this sounds weird, but <laughs> you know, everyone's really into like yeah. having a smartwatch testing their, stress levels, their heart rate, but if there were a, just a little thing that you could place in your toilet, you never had to touch it, and it would just uh, be a smart device that syncs to your phone, and it would tell you your stress levels. Hey, I would actually, it sounds weird, but I think I would probably actually buy that if I'm okay. also constantly checking my heart rate and things like that, heart rate variability. You so know. <laughs> that is actually funny you mention it because my... <laughs> Third or fourth obsession is is kind of related, but I just want to. It's it's my opportunity to say this because I'm I afraid love to talking ask. about it. What is it? Is, I'm afraid is, to ask. Is poop. <laughs> I love poop talk. I love talking about poop, and here's why I love talking about poop. And I'm sorry for all the people, but this is not rated R because everyone should be talking about poop. But poop this science. This is not going to be some crappy joke, is it? No, 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 it's not a crappy joke. No, oh, okay, this is actual, good, good. Like, I didn't want it to like, get really it, shitty at this part of the podcast. No, no, no. Sorry, oh, I'm done. Yes, I'm done. Uh -huh. There you go. There you go. Great stuff. This is neuroscience jokes. Got it. Um, the, 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 the poop science is is one of the most underappreciated sciences, like because it is when you talk about diagnoses, um, you can you can glean so much from poop. 
Like people don't understand that all of your, your history, all of your genetic material, all of your, your mood itself, your, your psychology is in the poop because of all the microbiome information. Not all of your genetic material, right? <laughs> not, not all of you, yeah, but, uh, but I mean, like, I, you know, speaking from a what, literal, what I mean literal is, perspective. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So from 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 the point of view that if you want to get forensic about something, like if you don't know what's ailing you, your poop will tell you. And, and if you've ever looked at the Bristol tool stool chart, I mean, I had to because I've gone through so many digestive ailments over the years. Um, but when you uh, when you look at that chart and you make a poster like I did on my fridge, you can get to the bottom line of what's going on with you within moments because the texture, the color, the whatever. And so what you're talking about right now, building a product, a toilet product is completely what I want to do. Like I'll smart toilets. Oh, I'm telling you that and, and it doesn't have to be gross. I'm just saying like make something that makes the toilet as useful as everything else because you sit on that thing probably two or three times a day so why wouldn't you make that the, the data gathering asset of your life right i mean it could measure it could measure your temperature it could measure you know what you know I, i'm not kidding you the, the 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 level of co2 gases you give off the the you know whatever you've eaten obviously i mean there's so much information there and the only reason I'm mentioning it is because you you have you're in the instrumentation game. You use a lot of different things to to collect data. And I'm telling you, man, I don't want to I don't want to collect that data, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'll stick, you know what? On second thought, I'll stick my smartwatch. I'll let you work on that. Uh, we, we stick to I guess cleaner stuff. Um, <laughs> no, know, but, but I, all I jokes aside, that. that's probably the cleanest part of the person. <laughs> No, no, no. All jokes aside, though, like the, some of the stuff that you guys are you're using is like like um, the coolest stuff ever. I, there used to be a, a company. I don't know if they still exist. I thought they were also a, a Maryland-based company, NeuroSky. Um, um, they oh, used to yeah, make they, a, they made a, an EEG headset, one of those small. I think like a, probably a dry headset or something that. Yep. Uh, yep. Had a couple sensors. Yeah. Yep, and I and I remember. They were so popular because whenever a decade ago when they came out, um, they were they were the first ones to start advertising a consumer grade product which could be used for gaming, right? And and um, and like I think they were they were just getting into uh, designing uh, software APIs that could that developers could build games where you use this interface to move objects and move avatars on a map. And now I'm sure there's I mean I haven't even study this for, for our call, but I'm sure there's a lot of products, especially with the VR market blowing up, that do this um, already. I mean, I, I'm just getting, there, I'm just waiting lot, for that yeah. point yeah, where we can just like, just do that more than, you know, move around, just like move objects with our mind and stuff. I, I just, I, oh man, you know what? This, this, this has got to be a part two. I think the next podcast, we have to definitely talk about that because I am in the market to design the drones that I can control with my mind. Like I want to, I want to put those two worlds together. Like if we can do that, I think that is a killer. I, I think just for oh. the fun. Like if if there's anything like Elon Musk's uh, boring company, I, I did that before. Yeah, I, okay. I did that. Jaw dropped. Yeah. Jaw <laughs> dropped. Tell me this. You go. Get, the floor is yours, sir. Please tell me this. Tell me about this. Oh well, I mean. Uh, you know, you talked about how NeuroSky uh, had, it, I guess they had something where you could play a game and move uh, objects on the screen 
and it, it was basically just oh wait uh, yeah i think i saw an interview of you doing something with this didn't you do like like uh you had someone interviewed about you uh, on this specific project uh, you like uh, something that was uh, televised or published somewhere um i i don't know i mean uh the drone thing um no i there was never any uh like news article that was done on, on this where, where i did it uh, i'm sure other people have have done this um uh, maybe you were thinking of some blog post on our website or something like that i i don't okay. think i've mentioned it uh because it's just a little pet project i had on the side where i just built a, a little script that would um basically allow me to uh, classify as I would uh, have the EEG headset on, on my head, set up, recording, and uh, it would record the data and do uh, build a little classifier to say if I was, um, uh, if it was recording uh, brain frequencies or signals, you could just say, um, while I was thinking of um, having the drone fly up, and then I did the other motions, recording what my brain activity looked like when it was uh, when I was imagining flying down, left to right, and um, and then it would just uh, uh, send those commands uh, with this open API that I got for this little drone that, that I got. This was uh, a few years back, um, but the NeuroSky uh, there there are a lot of uh, EEGs that are like that. They'll have like just a I, I think this one had like maybe just a few sensors. It might have been dry. Um, and there were there were a lot of companies that built smaller, cheaper headsets like that. Um, but uh, really, the like traditional EEG studies where you have to actually collect good data quality and you have to have very precise time locking. If, uh, when, let's say a picture is presented on the computer screen, um, th those will use bigger, more expensive systems with much better, accurate, more robust data. Uh, there are a bunch of these though. I mean, they they had a, a cool little design and. Um, uh, I'm sure there are others like it. So, Nintendo so what was are actually the, the... Uh, thinking of using that for the Wii originally. Um, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, man. Go ahead. No, 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 no. I, I, this is a, a great point. I wanted to ask. Like, so, 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 a great segue, which I wanted to ask. What are some of the pain points you you all run into when you are when you're trying some of these devices? Um, I, I mean, you talked about time locking. I, you know, I, I have a background in in microelectronics, and you know, one of the things academically oh, cool. we'd always have to study is, um, you know, how how the clocking of, of microelectronics can can be the the game changer for how computing works. You know, like, and that's how you get into you know computational processing and 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 I'm imagining when you get into digital signal processing when you when you're dealing with frequency when you're dealing with real time signals which is you know EEG and then you're dealing with um, sensory information which uh, human factors you know people actually watching something where you have to correlate what they're watching with what what they're outputting in this data I mean what are some of the pain points you guys run into what are the things you look for in terms of quality control in terms of the product selection that you guys have to use for your instruments and yeah well, uh, when I initially set up all these studies where I was going to be um, giving people emotion elicitation tasks on the computer, um, measuring their brain's response to emotional images uh, like the uh, IAPS data set, the, um, I, I think it stands for the uh, International Effective Picture System, just pictures of people uh, emoting the, the uh, six basic emotions that these early emotion researchers, Ekman and Friedman, came up with. So these guys had these pictures of people smiling, looking disgusted, uh, being sad, and so forth. The six basic emotions that, like original research, and I had to go and pick the right EEG headset that we'd use, but also something that would allow us to be able to buy a bunch 
and test a bunch of people at the same time. They couldn't be in some of those more traditional like twenty, thirty thousand dollar EEG systems. You get one cap, it's twenty five, thirty thousand dollars. It takes an hour to set up. The person has the participant has messy gel in their hair. So I guess from a non like uh, digital or programmatic perspective, like that's one of the annoying things you have to deal with is just the long setup time and stuff. Um, but uh, um, once you get past that, so I picked this one that uh, allowed us to just use saline. It was cheaper, but better data quality than than most of those smaller systems. Um, and then the big problems you get into are time locking the data with the other sensors. So I, earlier you asked what I, what I use or what our company uses. And I'm sorry, I, I actually didn't even get to finish because I've been so excited talking about this other stuff. I keep getting sidetracked. No, it's, it's um, my so fault. It, it's it's, my... it's one of my conditions. It's called the Rayhan <laughs> issue, which is just I scatterbrain. You, you should study me. I'm a great guinea pig. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, so we use EEG uh, uh, along with other sensors. GSR for galvanic skin response. In layman's terms, it uh, tells us how Converse is excited you're feeling um, based on uh, your uh, nervous system arousal. Uh, we also use a standard webcam that processes uh, microfacial expressions. So the moment you start to smile or frown or show one of those six emotions I was talking about earlier, then we can actually have a, an idea of how you're probably feeling. And of course, you're not always smiling if you're watching something that you're liking. Um, and sometimes you might have uh, facial expression that actually doesn't really directly correspond to how you feel at face value. Like if uh, someone tells a bad joke and you're going to smile anyways, but it's a little awkward, uh, you know, you're still going to yeah. emote. But yeah. we can uh, determine based on how all the sensors are reading how you're most likely feeling. Um, and also uh, with EEG, you're constantly monitoring the brain activity. Whereas with facial expressions, you might smile here or there, and that's about it. Um, so uh, that's uh, that's that device, and then um, we have two other uh, things that we're picking up on. Um, the eye tracker it doesn't uh, tell us what emotion you're feeling, but it does tell us where you're looking on the screen. So if you're watching an ad, um, and we're recording from the other devices, measuring that someone's attentive and they like what they're watching, we have an idea of what's probably driving those changes that we're seeing. If we see a spike in happiness, uh, then we can determine what they're looking at and identify that's probably what they like. Um, and then the last part is something called PPG. Uh, it's photoplethysmography, and it's something that allows us to just place a sensor on their skin, on their finger, um, and it shines light into their skin, and it tells us what their heart rate and heart rate variability are. Um, so increases in heart rate and heart rate variability are associated with emotional changes. Um, and it's also the same technology they actually use in the Apple Watch and different smart devices when they you know, give you a readout. Um, so those are all the devices. And because you have to time lock these, so getting back to the question you actually directly asked, you have to time lock these devices at, on a, a very accurate level because you're getting thousands of data points every second, and we have to do this very accurately. Otherwise, if the data is off by, you know, let's say two seconds, we've already collected, you know, a ton of new data. Um, and you run out of storage fast. So you have to be able to quickly process it live, which is what we do. 
Um, anything else that's more intensive, reprocessing old data, uh, we have to also store it and make sure that these computers don't run out of space, uh, that they don't end up crashing, and, uh, and that data processing also just has to be done right. From a scientific perspective, uh, I don't even want to get too much into that, but it, you just have to make sure that you're processing things the right way uh, in, in order to eliminate noise if someone scratches their head and that EEG headset moves. Um, if their cell phone is on and it's nearby, that can interfere with the amplifiers um, and then cause a lot of external noise interference. Um, someone turns on a microwave nearby, of course, not only is that generating, you know, sound noise, but noise that interferes with the tiny changes in electrical activity that we're trying to measure at the level of the scalp, things that are originating from these brain cells. So, so are, are you guys doing that answers your question? <laughs> it does. And, 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 and now this is where the, the geek creds come in. Are, are you are you guys doing this in some type of Faraday cage? Are you guys doing this in some type of no. isolation lab or what is this? No, no. I mean, we just try to make sure that we're doing this in, in a quiet location. Uh, we ask participants to turn their cell phone off, put it away so it doesn't vibrate. So it's not near the equipment. Um, but no, you don't have to do it in any kind of like special isolated room. Um, although other things like fMRI, that's where that requires, you know, a, a special room where they have to lay, a, you know, a special foundation. Um, and then you have this huge device, uh, you know, that uh, that requires nothing else that's metal nearby and everything has to, everything, everything has to change there. EEG, it's way more portable and you do have to be very still, um, but it's not as bad as uh, I guess I made it sound. Uh, it's actually portable enough where I did a study um, that was in the Washington Post and I had people drive the Tesla. This is the fastest Tesla at the time, the model P90D. Uh, it went from zero to 60 in like two point. 2.8 seconds, somewhere around there. And then I had control subjects drive a Civic. And we were able to measure their nice. attention and motions while they were driving. And then we could see how long it would take for their attention levels to drop off once they turned on autopilot, you know, stuff like that. And it was, it was all doable, but it was a lot more noisy. Now, is, is the market, uh, uh, I guess, how am I going to put this? Is the market larger? for the entertainment industry, the sports performance, um, who are your, your major clients? You don't have to you know, drop names or anything, but like who is, who is directly seeing the benefit from this? I mean, I'm sure everyone is, but like give me, give me the largest piece of the pie that you're seeing that's, that's, that's it's tending to, to use this widely. Um, well, one of the, the first studies that I did was for this uh, client. I don't want to mention their name, uh, I probably have to reach out to most of these people beforehand uh, to no, absolutely. make sure they're okay with it. Uh, but for um, a larger um, uh, advertising brand based in New York that uh, didn't actually have uh, any political affiliation, but they uh, paid me to do research studies in swing states for the 2016 presidential election uh, so mm -hmm. that they could find out um, essentially which ad spots, shorter ones or longer ones, were uh, able to be more effective um, uh, and and then they could learn from there really how to price them out what, uh, what they should really be having whether it's like just 30 second spots or should they have 60 second spots can people you know pay attention to something for that long um, but basically a lot of our clients are 
uh, doing ad work. Um, they, uh, they're Fortune 500 companies that sell products that have, uh, you know, TV ads, ads on YouTube, and they want to optimize their content so that we can basically test their commercials and then second by second gauge attention levels and emotional activity so we can give them feedback on how to optimize that content, saying, hey, people started to lose attention by the 15-second mark. Uh, the music was not effective. There was no change in emotions. Uh, you should cut out the music, change this, remove that scene, make it shorter, pay less, and drive up revenue. Wow. This is phenomenal. I mean, I, I, so what about – I saw some, some material on, on movies. I mean, when, when you guys do screenings or when, they, when, when big motion pictures do screenings for audiences before general release, um, I, are you seeing more, more traffic coming your way now? I mean, to, to get this type of data? I mean, I feel like this is – especially now when you're talking about the, the theaters going out of business and, you know, you need to, you need to get it right now. Movies have to be on point. Otherwise they're going to lose everything. Um, yeah. I see this as like saving the day. I mean, you, if you can test um, like this with a small sample size, but get such accurate results. I mean, it's, I've got to say we've done some, uh, some movies. Uh, we did a screener for a mother down in Mexico city right before that movie came out. Uh, I was actually there testing when they had that huge earthquake. This was in 2017. Uh, I don't know if you saw Mother, the movie with Jennifer Lawrence. I haven't. I haven't, but I, okay. I heard about it. Okay. Um, and so we've, we've tested, uh, you know, a bunch of movie trailers, but usually not the full form content, like not, you know, usually the case like Mother, where we're there in the theater testing these uh, these people who ah, then, you know, normally would have been great for Endgame. The... That, for Avengers oh. Endgame, man, you guys should have done it. That would have been the game changer. <laughs> no, that that movie was already amazing. I wouldn't have changed anything. And yeah, I but if you could if you could have measured the heartbeats and whatever the galvanic skin <laughs> response for when like Captain America picks up Mjolnir, oh my gosh, that post oh. that that post would have gone viral. <laughs> well, I, I love that movie. First, I mean, the the whole series was was amazing. Um, but also, well, hey, that's that's a limit, right? Because we use this stuff in in the scenarios where we think it can make an impact, and also, of course, where we can sell it. And you know, long movies where they the they've already shot most of the scenes, and they can't the, the uh, directors won't want to make as many cuts if that's the person who's actually you know making edits and cuts uh, in the like you know the post stage. Um, actually, I don't even know if that's the post-production stage or not, but, um, you know, they probably that's wouldn't brilliant. want to take our, our advice because they're the creatives. Yeah. Um, you're taking out and, the and art. So from the, oh man. That's it's, so you know, crazy I mean, though. Yeah. They're, they're going to be like AI. No, no, you're, you're right up there with AI. Cause you know, AI is a controversial topic. Um, you know, automation is a controversial topic because of the, the jobs that are going to be replaced and, you know, whether you believe it or not. And, and then now you're talking about you know, minority report kind of information, right? You're like, I can predict <laughs> if a movie's gonna do well, so choose my my Snyder cut. <laughs> no, That's no. amazing. You, you know, I, I can't. We we can't really predict if the movie is gonna do well or not. Maybe a little better than, you know, some some po basic polling and some basic focus groups and stuff like that for for movies, but that's that's because uh, but, that, but that's where the you know, models there's so many be, things right? that impact it. Well, I mean, that's... hey, sometimes a movie will come out and the trailers will be great. And we can predict how well or how much people like the trailer. But if it's not representative of the movie itself, which unfortunately happens a lot, 
then immediately word gets out the movie that the movie is bad, and then the the ticket sales just drop off entirely. So you know there are a lot of factors like that where we can't guess, and also you know sometimes hey it'll do well in the group we tested, and we'll tell the the you know the client we're going to have to test in all the markets that you're interested in, all relevant demographics, because. For example, younger people won't like the movie the same way as older people. They're looking for different things, you know, at a broad level. Uh, so, you know, um, we just make sure to do the best we can and to only apply what we have in scenarios where we really think it's helpful. And like shorter commercials and, and things like that are really good. Movies, I could probably hook you up, have you watch a movie, and then look at the data and, and identify I can predict how well you liked it without even asking Probably <laughs> with I think with a better chance than just guessing, but uh, well, but well, definitely I'm not a, on a. I, I have no one. poker face, so I'm pretty easy. Like my oh. my face lights up the moment I see the Marvel logo. So I mean I'm I'm pretty easy to read. I, <laughs> but, I, but, but again, I would, I, if you if you do, if you do it, I, I'm down. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's easier for sure. Oh. In fact, you know, when whenever a Marvel trailer drops, I'll be I'll be the first one in line for your test. There you go. <laughs> but but well, but hey, you know what's but, what's really. Oh, what's sorry. interesting? No, no, no. I, I, I'm, I'm excited about this because what, I, I want to challenge you on this because th there's this whole. Th Here's the funny thing. This brings up a memory of actually when I officially. No, I don't think it was officially. It was. I think it was. You no, know, it has to be officially. So computer science was the first time we met, but then the second class we had together that same semester was statistics. If you remember, remember probability and statistics with. Uh, the Egyptian professor, I can't remember his name, but he was always tuned out and he gave everybody an A. And if, if, and, and, and the reason why I remember this is because, um, number one, we both got a kick out of one of his anecdotes during his lecture where he just basically went off script and stopped teaching and he started talking about what his research assistants were, were doing. And, and one of the things they were just messing around with was how to get out of tickets, park, uh, moving violation tickets. And they had, they had actually studied statistically and, uh, and, 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 uh, and, and measured the probability of how um, a, a police officer when writing a ticket could get your license plate wrong if you yeah. did a combination of ones and, and eyes you remember this like like you can increase the oh. the probability of error so if you just basically because i's and ones or i guess it was l's and ones one of the combinations are so similar that if you get the combination wrong then they write it wrong and therefore the court has to throw the ticket out because obviously <laughs> it's not you so so anyway i I remember I totally this because, forgot about that. Oh, okay. Well, it's, I totally it's, forgot it's, about that. I, I remember something about that where where this uh, where our teacher is uh, telling us about this. But no, that's I'm glad you brought. Oh, that's the, so so this was my first of all. Funny enough, even though I didn't pay attention for half the class, it was one of my favorite class classes that stuck with me forever because of that anecdote. Because I appreciated statistics, I appreciated actuarial science, and all these this stuff that I never appreciated before. But I appreciated probability, and I, pre I appreciated permutations. If you remember, we went through lots of theorems and permutations, uh, you know, of 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 the p-value and, and and how to appreciate the p-value. And and now I'm, I'm sure you've gone through that a lot and error correction and all that. But and then and then modeling. Right, modeling was a big thing, and 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 by the way, the only reason I brought up the anecdote of the license plate is because I have that license plate, and I can't tell you what combination I have, but I, I do have that license plate. But <laughs> um, <laughs> but um but like I I uh, I I I I'm I'm bringing up modeling because now you know people are you know 
using predictive models and algorithms to 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 do everything from you know measure obviously the stock market's where you use it the most you can you, know, you use it in insurance you use it in 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 sports uh, sports science oh, and yeah, I, using, I, I, uh, like you know financial uh, like institutions to help prevent fraud things like exactly. that exactly and credit so, card companies th that will automatically exactly. flag purchase yep. you normally don't go to spend $500 at exactly. CBS, 20 miles from yep. your house. Level, yeah, stuff like that. Exactly. So I have yeah. to imagine that you guys and what you're doing, there's enough of a marriage here for predictive modeling so that you can actually, you know, you, know, you guys provide the, the lab and infrastructure to collect the information and how to read the data appropriately in the limited context that it is, or just contextualize it. And then let the, the statisticians and whoever your best friends are in, in, those, in those fields um, do the models that that are best associated with how the past 10 years of movie going experiences have have turned out for those specific models right so if, if the Avengers in the past decade have shown that these screenings resulted in this way and then in phase four when the Fantastic Four movie comes out and you do the screening and you can predict if the trailer if you can see what the results of the trailer are and match it up with that model now I'm saying you made the billion dollar business that can now basically put a lot of editors uh, out of business in the, in the industry. Hey, Sorry it's, it's for, a, for mentioning that in the public airways, but I think you guys are onto something. Uh, oh, no, I mean, that's one of the things that we try to do, not always uh, as much as we'd love to, we don't always get a chance to like, you know, dive into all the data and do all the model construction we love. Sometimes clients want a simple answer, but uh, one of the things we're gonna have to talk about uh, next time, uh, we have to do this again, is uh, when we uh, did a lot of political work traveling to swing states, collecting the data, and using that to, uh, I was actually personally using that to make bets about who would win the 2016 presiden presidential election, you know, in like a data-driven approach. Luckily, I, uh, and I guess you can say, unfortunately, uh, I made some money because I was right about the outcome of the election Oh, wow. months in advance, because no one at the time was even taking Trump seriously. I don't think he was. Uh, but um, uh, because of the unique access to the kind of data we, we were able to collect, uh, you had a case where, it, this surprising case, where there were a lot of people who didn't want to say how they felt on the surface, um, and uh, they you know, uh, didn't want to actually say in public who they really were supporting. Um, and so that caused all the polls to be way off. Uh, but then when you actually talk to the people who felt this way, you got kind of a clearer picture. But the neurotechnology is what really allowed us to see and allowed me to see how people were feeling on the inside when they didn't want to really say how they felt outside. Wow. I mean, Ryan, like this has been a crazy conversation. And you know what I get out of this? You're, you're on your way to a book deal because you could literally write the book on, <laughs> on, on the next evangelist. Like how can you measure an evangelist? You know, like those type of people that are thought leaders and people that can get people to listen to you and decide what you're going to do next. Like I would love for someone to write a book kind of like the Tony Robbins, like, uh, you know, analysis like you know those type of people using your type of data science i mean this is cool stuff and i and i appreciate you for taking the time for this i know you have you you, you got a ghost so i, I don't want to keep you uh more than you have to and we'll, we'll definitely have to do a part two um so closing thoughts um you know 
what, 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 where can people find you? Um, what, what, what are you going to be up to next? What's the adventure for 2020 now that you're, I don't know if you're in quarantine or what you're doing now in New York. I, hopefully you're staying safe. Um, so where can people find you? What are you up to? Um, and uh, any closing thoughts? Yeah, well, I mean, I'm just living in Brooklyn and also Virginia a lot, uh, about 50-50 time because uh, of COVID. And um, so I'm here with my fiance right now. We just got back to Brooklyn today. Oh, um, wow. Congratulations. I, yeah. I, I didn't know. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, um, I guess, uh, so I'm, you know, uh, still doing all the work with the, the company that I founded with those two other guys. Um, fortunately, we successfully did a Series A uh, uh, about two years ago now, and that's been able to keep us alive, keep our data scientists employed, all those people who do that modeling, um, you know, and so we're able to still do a lot of data analysis, but no testing right now. So, you know, research is obviously slower. I can't wait for things to get back to normal. And uh, closing thoughts, I guess, uh, what were you thinking? Um, uh, do, were you talking about closing thoughts like, uh, I'm sorry, earlier? It's anything, yeah, 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 so like I, or? yeah, so actually this is what I usually do. I usually kick it off with this and I, and I totally forgot to do this with you, but I, what yeah. I like to do is um, mindfulness. So give me something you're grateful for. You know, this is just one of those, those, those really, you know, uh, nebulous kind of things where it's like something you're, you're grateful for, the gratitude kind of thing, um, something that you're working on next that's exciting you. And, uh, you know, something that you want to share, honestly, it could be two oh. or three things. Honestly, that's it. Oh, well, uh, I mean, I guess, you know, these are really crazy times, but I'm really thankful to uh, live in this time because even though the news, everything, uh, all those different outlets try to make things look really daunting and dark, uh, we're honestly living in probably one of the best times because uh, just having your phone, having a laptop, where you can Google anything, um, just living in this day and age where if you want to know the answer to something, you can immediately find it in about two seconds uh, is pretty amazing. And so, I don't know, we just, I, I guess what I'm trying to say yeah. is um, um, I feel fortunate to live in a day and age where we can learn anything we want, uh, probably for free, and achieve way better things than what people were uh, limited to based on their limited access to technology years ago. And absolutely. Um, uh, so that's really what I'm thankful for. And what was the second question? Sorry. I, um, it, I think it can I'm be running something... on about two hours of sleep. <laughs> oh, hey, you know, by the way, I'm with you here. I haven't slept at all in the past 24 hours. So we have a lot to talk about. But no, uh, something that I want to ask you, usually I ask what, what's something you're challenged by or something that is, uh, you're, you're, that's aggravating you or bothering you, which, which probably right now is just sleep deprivation. So instead I'll ask <laughs> what is exciting you? What is exciting you? Something that you want to share or something you're learning or you have learned recently that you want to share with the world? Oh, uh, well, I guess, you know, after years of work, um, I put off my dissertation for a long time and I'm, I'm finally getting ready to complete my dissertation because uh, this whole thing has also given me extra time to bear down. Um, and uh, now I'm working on the, the final part of my dissertation. I'm just about done. So I'm really happy that I'm finally going to be uh, getting my PhD. I've been a doctoral student for years. And then I got distracted starting up this business with uh, a couple of buddies of mine. <laughs> oh, I love it. Um, this is a, this is, this is a, this is a superhero in the making. Reed Richards at, at its finest. This is awesome. Thank you yeah, so and, much, uh, Brian. 
Oh, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Was, Sorry. It was a blast getting to talk to you, Rayon. Uh, and let's definitely do this again, okay? Absolutely. We have we have we have part two with with it's going to come back for with a vengeance. The sequel is going to be incredible. We're going to talk about cars. We're going to talk about you know hacking the brain and 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 we're going to talk about your your relationship and probably what you did cognitive science wise to get in and 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 make a a healthy relationship because I I need to learn this stuff. Oh, you you know I did a, a brain imaging study look using MRI and we had people play different training video games for six to eight weeks and we looked at which ones allowed them to actually get smarter and create something called a transfer effect you train on the game you get better at other tasks in daily life uh, oh and man cool stuff so we'll talk about that next time dropping nuggets all right ryan i love this thank you so much you've given me inspiration for the day and the week i hope you have a fantastic <laughs> rest of the week stay safe stay safe and i really do appreciate it Hope to talk to you again. And for all my listeners, my 2.5 listeners in the entire world, I appreciate you guys listening in. And until the next one, everybody have a good one. Thank you so much, Ryan. Bye, Ryan. All right. Take care.